Hashem's Alper learning Soita Dav Zayin. We left off on Dav Zayin, Amadalaf, all the way on the top by the Mishnah, beginning with the second line. After a wife ignored her kinoi and had stira, so now the question is now what happens? What is the procedure? Says the Mishnah, Kate had oisalom. What is done with her? First, First, she is taken after the kinoi and after the stira to the local basin. For the basin to determine whether the kinoi was done properly, whether the stira was a halachic act of seclusion. In other words, whether this scenario actually creates the suffix saita. There is a very interesting discussion in the Dvar Shaul, whether the based in Shabbat could be a based in even of three judges, or perhaps the based in of her locale also needs to be a based in of 23 judges that have the power to judge capital cases because this woman ultimately might be, um, might, might be killed, so to say, when she drinks the waters in Yerushalayim. So after the based in determines that she is a suffix Saita, so then, Moisrin Loim, Shnei Talmidei Chachamim, they provide for the husband to Talmidei Chachamim to escort him and his wife. Why does he need a escort of two Talmidei Chachamim? Shema Yova Yoleo because he might have a relation with his wife traveling to Yerushalayim. And as we learned yesterday in the Rashi, in the Mishnah, that when the Pasuk says, that when do the waters work? When the husband is cleaned from sin. But if the husband is going to have a relation with her, then the waters won't even work. So in order to make sure he doesn't have a relation, that's what it appears. There were two Talmud Chachamim. Comes along Rebbe Yehuda. And he says that there were no escorts needed because by law, Nemon, Oleha, the husband, is trusted that he will not have a relation with her. If he's going to be asked later, and I'll say what happened, they'll believe him. And therefore, Machlekes, Tanoim, whether an escort is needed or not. So begins the Gemara explaining the opinion of the Tanakama. When the Mishnah says that they, they provided for him two Talmud Chachamim, in other words, Trei Ve'iu, it's two people plus the husband. Meaning, oh, there is a total of three people. Says the Gemara, ah, if that's the case, this is a proof to the opinion of Rav. That we have the Omar Rav Yehuda Omar Rav at the end of the Sechlis Kedushin, when he's speaking about the Isuda Yichud, that a man and a woman are not allowed to be secluded together. And to quickly review those dinim, for a Jewish man not to be allowed to be alone with a non-Jewish woman, this is a decree instituted by the Beishamah and Beisilo. When it comes to a man not being allowed to be secluded with a single Jewish woman with a Pnuya, this is a law that was instituted by David and his Beisdin after the terrible story of Amnon and Tamar. However, when it comes to a man not being allowed to be secluded with a woman that is in the category of Arroyos, a married woman, any other woman with whom he cannot have a relation, with the exception of a man with his mother or a man with his daughter, and a father, I'm sorry, a, a man with his mother, a man with his daughter, and a woman with her father, a woman with her son, 
side of those arayas, one cannot have yichud. And there is a very interesting machlaikas rishonim, whether that isur of yichud is midoiraisa or midrabanan. So said Rav on that, and to prevent yichud, what is enough is to have one other man. So Rav says, you know when one other person is enough to prevent isude yichud, that's only when they are in the city. Avol baderech, but when a person is traveling, if it's a man and an ervam, so you have to have three people. Why do you have to have three people? Says Rav, because a person might have to relieve oneself. And because of the laws of modesty, a person is not allowed to relieve oneself in the presence of others. When there is a wall, when a person is in the city, and a person can go as we learned in Brachas, there there is no worry that when one man is leaving, if there are only two men and one woman, so if one man is going to the bathroom, so who do we have now secluded? Just one man and one woman in the city, we're not worried, because since the person is relieving himself nearby, and the man and woman that are remaining together don't know when he's returning. He can return at any second. So that, that resolves the yichud issue. But when you're traveling, said Rav, and therefore if a person has to relieve oneself, a person will have to go as far, so far that they should not be able to see his nakedness. So he's going to be far away. So they know it's going to take him a while to return. And during that while, they're violating yichud. And that's why Rav said that when people are traveling, it's not enough to have two men and a woman to prevent Isura Yichud. You have to have three men. And our Mishnah that is saying that the Beisdin gave over as an escort to Talmud HaChamim seems to be substantiating the opinion of Rav. Says the Gemara to that, not necessarily. Maybe we don't hold like Rav. Maybe to prevent Yichud, two men are enough. In our case, that would mean the husband and one escort. I, why did the Mishnah say that they gave him two Talmidei Chachamim? They are here, you have to understand, really for two reasons. One is to prevent the husband and wife being together. And then there's another reason, that if they were together, someone is going to have to testify to that in the base in Hagadol in Yerushalayim to make sure that they don't erase Hashem's name, that you don't undergo the procedure because it's not going to work anyway because there is no v'nikah ishma oven because he had a relation with his wife. Now for that you have to have two witnesses. So the two Talmud HaChachamim might be here not to prevent, not to prevent Yisura Yichud, not even to prevent them being together, but it might be only to testify later so Rav cannot be proven from our Mishnah. Now the Gemara makes another observation. Why did the Mishnah say two Talmidei Chachamim? Says the Gemara, Talmidei Chachamim in. That implies that Kuli Almi, that non Talmidei Chachamim, Loi. Says the Gemara, Lema, perhaps again, let us say that our Mishnah, Misayayale, will be a Siyuam, will back up, will be a proof for the other statement that Rav made. Again, going back to the end of Kedushin, to Amar Rav Yehud Amar Rav, that Lo that when do we say that when you have two people and a woman, even though she's an erva to one of them, that there is no Yichud because there is someone else, that's only when the two men are Kshedim. However, Avol Beprutzim, but if you have shameless people, people that are known to be promiscuous, Afilu Asara, even if you have ten men, Nami Loi, 
the ten perutzim are not allowed to be alone with this woman. And Maisa, Hoya, there was a story that that ten people were making believe as if they are going out to bury this woman. She was in her beer. And God forbid, when they took her out of the city, all of the ten men sinned with her. And that's the proof, that's what Rav was trying to say, that if they're known to be perutzim, so then two, three, ten do not prevent the Surah Yichud. And that is why the Mishnah said, Talmide Chachamim. Actually, according to this understanding, the words Talmide Chachamim here simply means Kshedim. And Kshedim means, just to make this clear, that as long as people are not known to be perutzim, they are becheskas kashrus, and that's taka dahalach, all the way in the Ramah. That's how we paskin. So in other words, perhaps two talmidei hachamim simply means two, that we know that they are not perutzim. <coughs> Says the Gemara, again, loy, meaning this Mishnah cannot be approved to Rav. Maybe. Maybe that's what the Mishnah meant. Maybe not. Perhaps the reason why the Mishnah writes two talmidei hachamim, the Mishnah doesn't mean ksherim. The Mishnah doesn't mean just not perutzim. The Mishnah actually means two Talmidei Chachamim. And why do we need to have two Talmidei Chachamim? Let's just speak out how the Me'idi explains it. Again, that this escort is here for two reasons. One is to prevent them from being together. And the other is to testify. Now when it comes to prevention, as we all know, so by the letter of the law, you tell a person, don't do what you're doing. But we know from experience that not always when someone is telling you or forewarning you, you're not allowed to have a relation, will that be effective? You have to have people who know how to uh, inspire the listener not to violate Hashem's will. And that's why you have to have Tultamine Chachamim. So it's not just for them to testify later, it's also to prevent, but we want them to succeed. And actually, for this man having a relation with his wife, aside of the Pasuk that we quoted, that we quoted, we learned together inside Rashi yesterday, in other words, that if he will have a relation with his wife after she becomes a Suffolk Saita, then the waters won't work. There is actually an Isr for them to be together. There is an interesting Machlekes Rishonim. Some of it is going to be in the next few lines. If you learn good Rashi Toisvis, which we'll see that if a man will have a relation with his wife after she becomes a Suffolk Saita, is he violating a love? Or not? Now, where would that love be found? So the love is actually not going to be written in the Parsha of Saita, but the love is written in Parsha's Kiseitzei when the trader is telling a man that if he divorces his wife and she marries someone else, then there is a love of being, you're not allowed to be a machzer girushasei, you're not allowed to marry a woman after you divorced her, after she married another man, so the second husband died or the second husband divorced her, then the first husband cannot remarry her. And the Torah says, why can't you do that? So the words in Parshish Kitsetsa is, Achrei Asher Hutama'a, because she became defiled. And this is something that we learned together in Yavamis. So the Gemara says, why was she defiled? The Torah should have said, you cannot marry her back because she married another man. But her marriage to the second man was kosher. Why does the Torah use it, Balash and Tumah? So this is the source that if a woman committed adultery, that's meaning if a woman is known to be a saita, then the husband is not allowed to be with her anymore. That is what the Pasuk is hinting to, hinting to in the Parsha of Mahzah So the question is, is it the love only when she's a 
Saita Vadai, but maybe over here, we don't know whether she committed adultery or not. As many of the Shreinim learn, Taka, there's no Isr de Oiraisa. Now, we don't want them to be together. And the trader calls it Vinika Ishma Oven. We want them to be apart. If not, the waters won't work. But whether it's an actual lava or not, we're going to go with the opinion that says, with opinions that say that it's a love, and the wordings in the next piece of the Gemara is going to be easier to understand in sight. So continues the Gemara. Tanakama says that two, there are two escorts, Talmud HaChachanim. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, that there is no issue of Yehud. Her husband is trusted that he will not have a relation with her. And uh, he goes there by, by, with her all by themselves. Says the Gemara Tanya, we learned in Abrais, that Rabbi Yehuda Oimer, Baila Nemon, Abraisa normally is more elaborate than the Mishnah. The Abraisa there is giving you the reason of Rabbi Yehuda. And what's his reason? What's his Kalvachaymer? Husband and his wife while she's in Ida. And them having a relation that's Mamish and Erva with an Isur Kadis. Nevertheless, the husband is allowed to be with her by himself in seclusion. And again, here it's going to, let's learn that even when she's only a suffix, the husband having a relation with her before she drinks the waters is a violation of Allah, but the zikr no karis. So that the sin is, so to say, less severe is like culture that we trust the husband. The husband gets caught us if he has a relation with his wife when she's in Eden. Says the Gemara, one second, that's a good Kalvo Chaymer. So why did the sages say you have to have escorts? The Rabbanan say this same Kalvo Chaymer actually works against you. He Hanoisanis. Nida, because of the severity of the violation, because the traitor prescribes the punishment of Kadis, the Hamidale. So he, wow, there's the Easter Kadis. I will not have a relation with my wife, God forbid, while she's in Eden. That's why you, Mehemen, you don't have to have, you don't have to worry about Easter Yichud. But Saita, since, so to say, relative to Kadis, it's only a love, Loi Hamidale, and therefore, Voloi Mehemen. And therefore, you have to have two escorts. Period. Now, Rabbi Huda and the Braise did not respond because you can understand that there's two sides to this. Machlekes Rabbanan and Rabbi Huda, whether you have a Kalvo Chaymer or it's Adarab. Asks the Gemara, you just quoted me a Braise that said that the reason, the rationale behind Rabbi Huda is a Kalvo Chaymer, Rabbi Huda me Kalvo Chaymer, my I'm going to find you a second Braise. And over there, Rabbi Huda substantiates his opinion that you don't need escorts from a Pasik. Mikroi, my So before we learn the Braise, the question is, was it a Kalvo Chaymer or is it from a Pasik? The Tanya, now we're quoting the second Braise, it says in the portion of Saita, Vehevi ho'ish es ishtoi el says the Braise, that min ho'ish mevi es ishtoi, that from the wordings in the Pasik, the man brings his wife, it's clear, there's no escorts. If not, the expression would have been that a group brings this wife this woman to the basin in Yerushalayim. Aval, however the sages say, true. Midar, I said, no escorts are needed. Aval, Amro Chachamim, Moisim, Moisim, Shnei, Chachamim, that you have to have two Talmud Chachamim to escort them. Shema, Yovi, Oleho, Baderech, because to prevent him of not having a relation. And later, as we learn, to testify if they did, that the basin Hagadol should know that they were together. 
Comes Rabbi Yoisi. Rabbi Yoisi in this Braisa is going to say, what did Rabbi Yehuda says in our Mishnah? And he says, no, that Midoy Raisa, you don't need an escort, nor do you need an escort Midrabanan. Bailon Nemonullah, and he has a Kalvachimer. Now, Rabbi Yoisi's Kalvachimer is going to be different than the Kalvachimer we had in the first Braisa. What is Kalvachimer? He begins. Take that back. He begins with the same Kalvachimer. That Oman needs a when the violation of a husband and his own wife while she's an Ida, which that is a violation of Qadiz, by Lenemon Oleha, so is like Kalchrein. So here the response is going to be a different response. Amrulai, say the sages to Rabbi Yoisi, you do not have a Kalvachimer. Imamart bin Nidam, Shikane, Yeish the reason why a man is allowed to be secluded with his wife even while she's a Nidon, I, Isr, Yichud, Erva, there the answer is because it's a prohibition that has an end. She will become permitted. And therefore, a person thinks to himself, why will I do something while it's prohibited if I can do the same thing when it's permissible? Taimir Besaita, a Saita doesn't have a heter. Now, obviously, a Saita might become permitted. But that's not up to a certainty. That has to do with if he's going to still be willingly to go through with it and if she will also be willingly willingful to go through with it and if she survives the drinking of the waters. So you don't look at it as something that has an heter. So there the, the mind is different and there you have to have Edim for there not to be Yichud. Or you have to have someone, at least one person for there not to be Yichud. So says and furthermore, and as the Rishonim point out, why wasn't this response good enough? Because you can argue that on one hand, by the Saita, he might never be with her. But there's another rationale that is used in Halacha as to when there is no issue of Yichud. And that is whether they were ever together. If they were never together before, then there's a bigger Yetzirah harder to be together. But since she's a Saita, and he was already with her before she underwent this terrible experience of being warned, of being secluded, they were once together. So maybe that should balance the fact that they might never be together. And again, maybe there is no problem with Yechud. So for that, since there's a concept called Mayim Genuvim Yimtaku, that stolen waters taste sweeter, so yeah, the fact that it's prohibited, that is another reason why there is an Isr of Yichud. Actually, in Halacha today, we use both reasons. In other words, when will a man not be prohibited to be secluded alone with his wife while she's an Ida, when both they were already once together, and when she will become mutter to him. But if, for example, when a Hassan and Kala just got married, they were never together yet, and you have a Chupas Nida, then there is an Isr of Yichud, even though she will become mutter. Or the opposite, if for, it's very rare today, and today these are things that could be resolved relatively easily with a, with a good doctor, but whenever a woman is bleeding, machmas tashmish, then they're not allowed to have yichud together. Even if they were together previously, because they'll never be allowed to be together. So actually we use both of these reasons today, why is a man allowed to be with his wife while she's in Ida, ay yichud, both because we were already together and because we'll be allowed to be together, that's why there's no Yisri Yechud. So all of that is Rabbi Yisri. 
Now comes along Rabbi Yehudam in that Brice, and he says that again, Min the same words of the Chacham and Midoiraisohishmeviasishtoyalakoyin, because it says Vehevi Hoishishtoy. So don't come and tell me you need escorts. If the Torah said the man is trusted, the man is trusted. That makes a lot of sense, especially according to those who hold that Isur Yichud is Midoiraisa. So midoraisa Hashem does not allow yichud, and here Hashem said vehevi ho'ishesishtoi araya that here there's no isur yichud. So question is, does Rabbi Yehuda say his opinion based on a kalvachaymer, or is it based on the pasuk? Answers the Gemara like this: that amalu kalvachaymer beresh. First, Rabbi Yehuda, who knew there's no escorts, he said the kalvachaymer as it was spoken out in the first brayso. But the sages refuted him. They told him other Isurkaris is more severe, so people will be more careful. So Vahadir Amr Lukra, and then he said a pasuk. Says the Gemara one second, if that's the case, Rabbi Huda is saying in the second Braisa what the Tanakama is saying. They both say Dvartoira, Ho Ishmeviasishtai. Says the Gemara, absolutely. Midairaisa, they both are saying the same thing. But the difference between the Tanakama and Rabbi Yehuda, Ikebenayu is Avalamru. That the Chachamim admitting that Midairaisa there's no Isr Yichud. Say what we learned in our Mishnah that you have to have two Talmud Chachamim that escort them, and Abi Yehuda doesn't hold that such a thing is needed, not even Midrabanon. Okay, so now we're going through the procedure. So there's Kinoi and there's Tira. They go to the basin of that city. Only after the basin of the local place says Takashi is the Suffolk Saita, then they're taken either alone or with escorts to Yerushalayim. Now, what happens when they come to Yerushalayim? Says the Mishnah. They were taken to the Great Beisdin, the meaning of the Great Beisdin, as we'll learn later in the Gemara, really, on Harabayis itself, there were three Batidinim. There were two Batidinim that had a Beisdin of 23 judges, and then there was the Beisdin Hagadol, the Sanhedrin, that they sat in the Lishkas Hagazes, in one of the chambers, part of the chamber was actually in the area of the Azara, can't sit in the Azara. But where the judges sat, as we'll learn in Sanhedrin, they sat in the area that was right outside the boundaries of the Azara, it is there that she went. Why did she have to go there? So we're going to learn that there's a Pasuk in Parsha Saita that says that she stands Lifnei Hashem. But even though she stands Lifnei Hashem, still we'll, we'll have to understand why does it have to be the one in the Lishka Sagazes. There were other Batidinim there as well. More of that in the Gemara. But she went to the Basin of 71. And initially, Uma Aymin Oleha, they would attempt to intimidate her. Shema Aymin. Just like the Beisdin is obligated to attempt to intimidate a day When witnesses are testifying, and based on their testimony, someone can be killed in a Beisdin. So, you know, we learned this in Sanhedrin. They tell the witnesses, you know, when it comes to a monetary law, if you're making a mistake, if we're making a mistake, if there is someone else is making a mistake, and Reuven actually gives money to Shimon that he doesn't owe, it's not the end of the world. When we'll discover the mistake, we'll take the money from Shimon, and we'll give it back to Reuven. But when it comes to capital punishment, once a person is, is dead, he's dead. We cannot bring him back to life on our own. So they start to, and being that these waters can actually lead for her to die, so they started to intimidate him. And what, what did they do? Not them, intimidate her. So according to many Rishonim, they actually separated him and her. Because she might be ashamed to admit her guilt in front of her husband. That's why the Mishnah says, They take him out of the picture here. And they begin to emphasize with her. And they tell her, We understand 
that maybe you wine, you had a lot of wine, and we understand the effects of wine. And we also understand that if people are very frivolous, people are very lightheaded, it can lead to bad behavior. We understand youth, you know, hormones. You understand how bad neighbors or bad friends can be of bad influence. In other words, they're telling her, we understand that such a thing could have happened. Admit to it. We're not going to judge you. But at least we won't have to erase God's holy name. The moment you admit your guilt, we won't have to erase Hashem's name. The Bach has a little bit of a different version, but the content is the same. In other words, we're trying to get her to admit her guilt for them not to have to erase so just to make it clear, they didn't just write Hashem's name and erase it. They wrote on a parchment the whole Pedic Hay in Chumash Bamidbar. They wrote the whole Parsha of the Saita. In that Parsha, Hashem's name is written not once, many times. And all of that was erased in the waters, as we'll read later. It wasn't a glass, it was an earthenware. We'll get to there later. On top of that, they tell her things that she's not deserving to hear. Not she's deserving, not her family is deserving. In other words, the Mishnah is implying that there is some responsibility on a family that raised a daughter, that married, is being accused of committing adultery. But they are going to tell her certain things to equalize her, as we'll see later. They're going to make her feel equal to our great uh, fathers and mothers in Jewish history. They're going to tell her the story of Yehuda. They're going to tell her the story of Reuven. And they're going to say it in a way that's not correct. They're going to tell her the story the way it appears written black and white in the Chumash, which is not exactly what happened. In order for her to also hear that there were other people that fell in this area and they admitted... All of this is trying to get her to admit, as we'll see later. And after all of these attempts, the moment she says, I committed adultery, so then shoiveres doesn't mean to break. Shoiveres means that you write a receipt to her ksuba. And that's something that Emir Tzashem hopefully will get to today. But we learned this many times together. When I owe you money, if I owe you money, it means that you have a document against me. Right? The lender has the document. Now when I pay... What I ideally want, I want that document back. Because then I'll rip it up and throw it away. Now, if you claim I don't have the document, I can't find it, I'm going to say I don't want to pay you. Because if I'll pay you now, you might pull out the document again. So one solution might be, you'll propose giving me a receipt. There's a machlekes at the end of whether that's acceptable. Because the moment I have a receipt, there is a burden on me, the borrower, to guard the receipt. Shouldn't be lost. Mice shouldn't eat it. And there are those opinions who say that I can claim, no, 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 I don't want the receipt. You find the loan document and then I'll pay you. Here, the fact that the Mishnah says that a receipt is written against the Ksuba, that's going to be a point the Gemara is going to try to make. Aha, from here you see that a receipt is acceptable. We'll get to that later. The point is that even if she admits, as we spoke out in the beginning of the Masechta, she's not going to be killed. If to aid him... Two Adim, we said that also, even though we learned that if one eight said that during that seclusion she had a relation, even though we learned that we believe that aid only as far as Hilcha Saita is concerned. She's not a Saita Suffolk, she's a Saita Vadai. She doesn't drink the waters. But to kill her, so that's a whole different dinim. You have to have two Adim, and they have to be interrogated. So, because she committed adultery, a married woman who commits adultery normally dies, but So here the Mishnah says, 
The Yaitzes means that she is not going to be killed, but she will not drink the waters. No, she gets divorced, she loses her ksuba, and she goes. However, but if she's insisting that I'm tahar, then they used to bring her up. This is also a problem. They brought her up. She's already in the Lishkas Hagazis. So the Gemara is going to address it. But actually, they took her from there down. They brought her right outside Temple Mount. Around Harabayis, you have on every side a wall. We have today the Koisel Hamaravi. But they used to bring her to the Koisel Hamizrahi. They used to bring her in front of the eastern gate of Harabayis. And that gate is adjacent to, it's, 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 a, it's against, it's opposite of Shar Nikner. Shar Nikner, we learned this together, that we have, once you go up to Harabayis, you eventually enter the Ezra's Nashim. And what separates the Ezra's Nashim from the Ezra's Anashim is the gates that are known as the Nikner gates. Nikner was a Goy who wanted to donate something to the Beis HaMikdash. And that's the whole discussion, whether a guy, this is halacha lamaisa, wants to make a donation to a Jewish shul, so the din is that absolutely, but he has to give money. Normally we don't accept a specific item for people to attribute that this item came from that person. Nikner was the question, Nikner is the exception, that Nikner wanted to give actual gates, and he went to Alexandria Shalmitzrayim, and he brought the most precious copper gates, and while they were shipping it back with him on the ship, there was a terrible storm. And they felt that to save everyone on the ship, they threw over one gate. And the storm was going to still overthrow the ship. So they were going to overthrow the second gate. And he grabbed onto the gates. And he says, if the gates are going over, so am I. Because he wanted to give it to the base of Mignosh. And when it landed in Eretz Yisrael, when the ship docked, so a miracle happened. And that other gate that they had already thrown over came up right over there. And those gates are known as Shar Niknar. They are the boundary between Harabayis, which is called Machna Leviya and Machna Shechina. Actually, we're going to see from our Mishnah that the Halal Sharniknor, meaning the space under the gate itself, there was a depth to it. That is not part of the Kedushas Azara. That was still considered part of Temple Mount. That was, we're going to learn right now for everything. And what was done in the Halal Sharniknor, Shisham, over there was the place where Mashkin Asasaitis. And that is like Rashi says, because it says that she used to drink the waters Lifnei Hashem. And Lifnei Hashem implies that it doesn't mean that she should be in the Hechel itself. Now, really, when it comes to Asaita, there's nothing you can argue inherently wrong for her to enter the Machna Shechina. She can actually get even closer to the Lifnei Hashem. But being that she might die, we did, we did not want her to be there. Aleph, Bayes, there were certain things that were done to her that were not appropriate. She was not dressed appropriately. So people say, for example, her hair was uncovered. So that's another approach. So even though that it was done because the Hashem said to do it, we didn't want a woman to have uncovered hair in the Machna itself. But on the other hand, she needed to drink the waters, Lifnei Hashem. So the closest space, Lifnei Hashem, that's not yet sanctified by Kedushas, Azara, Machna Shechina, is the halal of Sharniknar, as well as So let's go backwards. A Metzoid is a person that after they were told by the coin that the signs of Tzadas left them, and they already underwent the seven clean days, shaving their hairs twice, the first and on the seventh, and they went to the mikveh, and it's already at night, there's head of Shemesh, 
Now they still have a residue of Tuma on them, like any other person that has to bring Karbanois, known as Mechusrei Kippurim, and a Mechusrei Kippurim is not allowed to enter Machna The problem is that part of what was done to Amitzayda was they took the blood of the Asham and they put it on his ear, on his thumb, and on his right toe. And the bloods of a carbon are not allowed to leave the, the Azara. They're not allowed to leave Machna Shechina. And if they do, they become disqualified. So you have a problem. So the solution is that the Metzayt is going to stand in the Halal Shar Nikna. So he did not enter Machna Shechina. And we learned that Bia B'miksos Laf Bia. That when he's only going to stick his ear in, since it's only a little body part, only his thumb in, only his toe in, that's not called that he entered the Azara, because only a, a minority part of him entered the Azara. And then the blood is going to be put on his ear, on his thumb, and on his toe while they are in the Azara. Now, a Yoldis has really the same challenge. The Yoldis has to be there, we'll see later. But really, the Gemara is going to point out it's not only a Yoldis, but any Azav, Azava, any person that's Mechusir Kippurim, meaning that even though they went through seven days, after they went to the mikvah, if they have to bring Karbanas on the eighth day, they are not allowed to enter Machnashkin until they brought the Karbanas. So they get as close as they could. And that's the Sharniknor. Now while she's standing over there, a coin is going to roughly grab onto her garments. And he does it roughly. And im if they get torn, they get torn. And if they get shredded, is nifremu. So they get shredded. And the point actually was to reveal the upper part of her body. And on top of that, and he has to unbraid her here. In other words, not only does he uncover it, he unbraids it. And that is actually psukim written in the Torah. Comes along with Rabbi Yehuda and he says, true, it's written in the Torah. Psukim that allude to, he pushed uncovers her. However, if she was an attractive woman, so then, then he did not do it. Then he did not uncover her body. If she had pretty hair, he would not unbraid her hair, as we have the rule that the Torah says this has to be done. No one is debating that. But as the generations went on, and even though people are doing a mitzvah, and normally we learned this in the Nazar very recently, that while the mitzvah is being done, they were not worried about people having negative thoughts, unkosher thoughts, but obviously um, that's when people were on a higher level. So Rabbi Yehuda felt that if it's somehow going to make her look attractive to someone, then some of what the Torah prescribes to do should not be done. Now, continues the Mishnah. And actually, the way the Rishonim speak out, the next line is, happened before the beginning. Before they rent, they ripped her garments, first they made sure that her garments themselves are not attractive. So if she came there, first, before they ripped it. If she was wearing golden ornaments, turning the Amid in the Mishnah of Zayin Amid Beis, or if she was wearing Vikalt Liyois, if she was wearing chokers. Now here it actually says chokers was made to keep her garment up. In other words, the garments were made in a way that for her not to fall down, the top part of her shirt, so it was somehow clasped together with this kal katliois. Other places we have that katliois, it was more attractive for a woman to be a balas baser. So to make, in other words, that having a little bit more pounds was considered attractive then, being overweight or being what we were. So they used to wear ornaments that made them look heavier. So they used to choke their necks. So there should be some of additional neck skin sticking out. Or if she was wearing nose rings, or if she was wearing Tabai's finger rings, 
all of that, they took it off from her. They wanted her to, they wanted her to look unattractive. Now, why did they want her to look unattractive? So there's really two parts to it. Number one is they were trying to get her to admit. But there's another aspect here. And that is that even if she turns out that she never committed adultery, the fact that she was secluded with that individual after she was forewarned, that's a, that in itself is not a good thing. And the counter to a site, the problem the Chachamim had with the site is, the challenge that we have is, is that if she was innocent, meaning if she didn't commit adultery, she would get blessed. She would get blessed. If she never had kids, she would have children. If she had unhealthy children, she would have healthy children. So one can think if that's the case, God forbid if a couple is childless, they have a solution. Let her make kinoi, let her make stira, let her become a suffix site, let her undergo this whole procedure, but we don't want that to happen. Yichud with the man is asr, midayir aisa. So they did things that made the procedure so horrible that no one would want to go there. If this is what I need to do to have a child, ich will das nicht. I don't want to be ashamed in public, be undressed and, and made to look uh, unattractive, etc. And then they brought a chevel mitzri. So Rashi teaches chevel mitzri means, look in the second line, ha'asui mitzurei dekel. Tzurei dekel means a rope that's made with palm fibers. In other words, being that they rent her, her garment, her upper garment, they wanted to make sure that it doesn't completely fall off her. So they were tied with a, with a, with a rough rope. The Rambam writes that actually it means a rope from Egypt. Because Egypt were people that were shetufei zima. And what happened here was connected to zanus. So it's a reminder, if you're connected to Zunus, you're connected to Egypt. And they tied it above her Dadeho to make sure that from then on she was partially covered. And and whoever wants to see her is allowed to see her. They didn't do this in seclusion. The only people that are not allowed to be there, we didn't want for her servants, her male servants, or female servants to be there. Why? And here, Gaspahem means that she will become emboldened by seeing them. And we want her to admit, like we mentioned, some of this is to discourage other women from becoming soitis. Some of this is for her to admit that she's guilty before the waters are erased. And if she's going to see people that work for her, that are subservient to her, it's going to give her more confidence. And that might prevent her from admitting she's guilty. And now the mission. Why, why would you leave her? Yeah. You would say before she's not believing because she might want to get out of her, she might want to get divorced. And also, because since Ragleha, that's what we learned in Toysus, since Ragleha, Raglaim Ludover, we will believe her. And also, we're trying to prevent God's name from being written. You want to know it's actually now, if she says, I'm Tommy, we believe her. Raglaim Ludover. V'chol Hanoshim. All women are allowed to see, or the Gemara is going to ask the inherent contradiction. The Mishnah just said, So why does the Mishnah have to add? We'll get to that in the Gemara. That women are allowed to see her. As it says, that that all women should be chastised, and so they should not do like this woman who behaved in a, in a lewd manner. In other words, we don't, peop- we don't want people to imitate her. So some of it was done to get her to admit, and we wanted other women to see her, t- that no one should want to have to undergo this terrible procedure. Says the Gemara, Mino Hanimili. And like Rashi points out, from where do we know that it has to be the base and the God will be Rishalayim? 
And then Hanami is speaking out Rashi that it says Lifnei Hashem. So this procedure has to be done somewhere near the Beis Hamikdash. But being that there was another basin of Chav Gimel by the entrance of the Harabayas, there was another. There were two Bati Dinim that had twenty-three judges on Temple Mount, and they are close enough for us to say Lifnei Hashem. How do we know that it has to be Dafkem in the Sanhedrin that sat in the Lishka Sagazis? So Amar Abchia Bar Gamda. That is learned from It says in the portion of Saita of Asal Hakoyin, Eskol Hatoira, etc. And it says, It says, That's a Pasuk and Shaiftim that's speaking about the Zokin Mamri. That if after only the great Sanhedrin gives a halachic ruling. If you have a learned person that is telling people to go against their ruling, he's not saying that if I would have been a member of the Sanhedrin, my svara would have been different. That's good. Debate, enjoy. But if he's actually telling people to go against the ruling of the Sanhedrin, he's put to death. But you know when is he put to death? Only if he's telling people to, be, to rebel against the great Sanhedrin. Malahalon, he's only put to death if he's rebelling against the Shivan Viachod, Afkan, Taira Taira, that she's taken Dafke to the great Sanhedrin, Umaimin Oleho, and they intimidate her. And Viniminu asks the Gemara, I have a Braisa. The Braisa actually says that it's not just about intimidating her, they also encourage her to go through it. They tell her if you're saying the truth, drink the waters. It says, just like she's intimidated not to drink. They intimidate her, yes, to drink. And they tell her, our daughter, if you're certain that you're pure, stand your grounds, don't admit to something that's not true, and drink. I, you might be afraid that the waters will hurt you. They won't. Because these bitter waters, they're not compared to anything other than to some Yavish, to a potion. And we'll see from the expression here, to a medicinal, to a good potion. Shemunach al-basar chai, that is put on raw skin. Im If there's a wound here, then mechal chelet penetrates, then it goes into it and it heals it. But if there is no wound, so they're actually telling her nothing bad will happen to you. Now again, parenthetically, really you can argue they should have told her something better. Why didn't they tell her, drink the waters? Because if you're innocent, it's going to do good for you, which it did. That they didn't want to tell her. Again, they didn't want other people to, to say, I will become a Saita to get healed. They didn't want this to be used to bring a bracha of children, because for that you have to become a Saita. And becoming a site is inherently bad. But all they told her was, don't be afraid, it's not going to hurt you. Why didn't our Mishnah mention it? Answers the Gemara Leikashe. Khan, our Mishnah, is speaking about before they erased the whole Pasha of Saita, before they erased Hashem's name. And as the Mishnah explicitly says, they didn't want Hashem's name to be erased. There it wasn't a two-way conversation. It was always, the, the cards were stacked, don't do it. Admit that you're guilty. Don't drink it. But the Braisa is speaking about a case where they already erased the Megillah. And here it's the opposite. On one hand, they told her, listen, if you're guilty, you're going to die. They didn't want her to die. But on the other hand, if she's innocent, they wanted for the erasing of the waters not to be in vain. Because even after they erased the Megillah, she had the option to say, I'm not drinking. 
and she can shout, I'm innocent, but I'm not drinking. And then they would not make her drink. But then it would come out that they erased Hashem's name, Mamish, for nothing. At least when she drinks, it was for a purpose. Either, God forbid, to kill her or to bless her. They told to her things, the Mishnah says, things that she's not worthy to hear. So what does that mean? They spoke to her words of Agadita. And they spoke to her Maisim. Stories that are written in the early scriptures. We're speaking about stories that are written in Chumash Bereshis. And again, they spoke to her the stories not the way they really happened, as we have a Mosaitis from Chazal, but they told her the stories the way it appears, the way it's written, Pashit Chumash. And for example, Kigayin, and this is actually the meaning of what Eov said, that Asher Chachamim Yagidu, that the wise men, our wise people, shared with us, told us, they did not withhold stories, even though the stories could put a negative light on our um, founding fathers, that the wise men wrote everything in the Torah, because there's something to learn from all these stories. So what are the stories that other non-wise people might have withheld? But Dafka, because Yidin are Chachamim, we are sharing the stories. Yehuda, the story of Yehuda and Tamar, that Yehuda thought he's having a relation with the Zayna. And the Torah writes all that. Now really, we know from Chazal, first of all, that Yehuda had lost his freedom of choice there. There are so many different understandings of what really happened that don't paint Yehuda in such a bad light. But they didn't tell that to her. They read the story the way people that don't have yet the Mesoida, and then you know the, the, the critics or the cynics, look at Yehuda, look at what he did. That's how they told it to her, to come to the point that at the end of the story, when they were about to burn Tamar, and she was not saying who had a relation with her, but she picked up the personal effects and says that the one who owns this, I'm pregnant from him. And, and, and Yehuda said, Sotka, she's innocent. Me, many, it's me. I had a relation with her. And by the way, his relation with her was actually a mitzvah. Because pre-Matmutayda, the mitzvah of Yibum, was also on a father-in-law. But none of that was told to her. So they were telling her, don't be ashamed to admit your guilt. People came before you. Yehuda, he sinned, but he admitted. And he was not ashamed. And what happened to him at the end? At the end, because of his admitting, he actually merited to enter the world to come. Likewise, Yehuda. So Yehuda's story is written in Parshas Vayeshev. Reuven's story is written in Parshas Vayishlach, one Parsha before. And the Pasik is Vayelech Reuven. Pasha, the words of the Torah is Vayishkav Bila Pilegeshavit. The, the Pasik seemingly is saying that Reuven had a relation with Bila. Really, that's not what happened. As Rashi writes in Chumash, what happened was is that after Rachel Imenu passed away, Yaakov's main residence was with Rachel, even though he had three other wives as well. After Rachel passed away, he moved his bed into the tent of Bila. He moved his bed into the tent of Rachel's maidservant. Now, Reuven took offense because Reuven felt, okay, between Rachel and Leah, he chose Rachel. But now that Rachel passed away, my mother Leah, she's a main wife. Bila and Zilpah are started out as Imahis, whatever that means. So he moved Yaakov's bed from the tent of Bila into the tent of Leah. And for his level, it's considered sinful to the point that the traitor writes the words that Vayishkav, that he slept with, Bila, but they didn't tell that to her. They told her that Reuven had a relation with Bila. And Hoydan he admitted. 
Of course, all he did. And the Gemara says in Shabbos that Kolo Emer, that goes Kolo Emer Reuven, Chata Ein Elotoya. And there the Gemara says, whoever says David sinned is Toya. And all of the great, our great tzaddikim that we pushed. Now, why did why was the story written the way it's written? Kasha. But here they used it together to admit. And Reuven admitted. How do you know he admitted? We'll see soon. And Veloy Boish. And Mahoya Soifoy Nachal Chayel Mahaba. And the Braisa continues, and Omaschar, and what is their reward? So now the Gemara stops the Braisa. One second, you just said that they admitted, and because of that, they were Nachal Chayel Omahaba. So asks the Gemara, Mascharan, you're asking what's the reward? You just told me that their schar was that they were Nachal Chayel Omahaba. Ella explains the Gemara, the Braisa is asking, don't think that they only got a reward in Oilam Haba. Ella Mascharan, Oilam Answers the Gemara, quoting again the Pasuk in Yuv, and as Rashi interprets the Pasuk, they got two brachas. This Pasuk is divided into two. The first Pasuk is Lehem Levadam Nitn They alone inherited the land. And as Rashi explains, what does that mean? Yehuda, Malchus. That's the meaning of the land in Kabbalah. Malchus, land, Eretz is Malchus. So Yehuda inherited Malchus. And Reuven, Rashi says, was the first one that inherited the Yerusha Zeretz Yisrael, Taka Me'ever Hayardin, but it was B'nai Ru'uven, U'b'nai God, V'chatzit Shevet Benashe, that they were the first ones to get their inheritance. And number two, V'lai Ovar Zor B'teichom. What does that mean? That when Moshe Rabbeinu was giving the brachas to all the Shvatim before he passed away in Parshas, V'zoi Sabrachon. So Moshe Rabbeinu first blesses Ru'uven, by Yechid Ru'uven V'al Yomoiz V'hemis of Mispar, that he should be counted in the tribes, even though there was this Vayishkav, and then right after he gave a bracha to Reuven, it says, So the fact that they were juxtaposed together, that is the second reward. So now as the end of the b'raith. So says the Gemara, The Pasuk in Vayeshev says that he admitted. As it says, Yehuda, Yehuda recognizes personal objects. And he says, She is just. She is innocent. Because me many, I was the man who got her pregnant. How do we know that he admitted? Answers the Why does it say in the Pasik again? Right? And right afterwards it says, So there, as Rashi points out, the Gemara is really asking two questions. Question number one is, why was Yehuda right after the Uven? Why are they together? Go by the Seder of the tribes, Reuven Shemelevi. By Yaakov Avinu, that's how it worked. Reuven, they didn't exactly get a clear bracha. Really, everything was a bracha, but it was the Seder of their birth. And number two, what's this vizois? Vizois li Yehuda. What kind of expression is that? So says, During the years that the Eden were in the desert, that the bones of Yehuda were migulgalim, they were rolling around. And as Rashi points out, that really, since Yehuda, um, I'm sorry, Yosef said <clears throat> that when you leave Ha'alisem es atzmoisai mize itchem, Yosef Atzadik says, when you leave Egypt, take my bones. Itchem, with you, who was he speaking to? To his brothers. From there we learn that all of the bones of the tribes were taken out of Mitzrayim. And Yosef HaTzadik was asking that he should be taken with them. So now going back to the Gemara, the other tribes, the other Shvatim, Shifte Yudke, Tzadikim, they remained intact. 
So when, when you physically carried their coffins, you didn't hear bones running around, rolling around. But by Yehuda, the bones were rolling around. The, the, in other words, there was a decomposition of the body, and the bones, even the skeletal frame, did not stay intact. So Moshe Rabbeinu, when he understood that, when he heard that, so he stood up and he asked Hashem for mercy. And this is what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Who was the one that caused Reuven to admit that he sinned, whatever that sin was with Bilam? It was Yehuda. In other words, after Yehuda admitted his sin, as it's written in Parshas, Vayeshev, then Reuven admitted the sin, Berabim. And the Bach over here brings the Toysavis and Bavakama that asks the question. We know the story of Mechiras Yosef is written in the Torah before the sin of Yehuda. It happened before. Yehuda didn't get married only after that sin. And already during the Mechiras Yosef, why wasn't Reuven there? Because he was wearing a sack and he was fasting for the sin that he did regarding his father with this Vayishkav Bilam. So he was doing tshuva before. He wasn't even there. So how can we say that Yehuda was the one, Teisva says, that caused him to admit? He was doing tshuva before the whole story of Yehuda admitting, before Yehuda sinned. So Teisva answers that Reuven was doing tshuva from day one. But there was a moment that in public he admitted to what he did. And when did he admit Berabim? After he was inspired by Yehuda's tshuva, when he admitted in public. Imagine. The busha that Yehuda went through, Satka Mimeni. So, so Moshe Rabbeinu was telling Hashem, Yehuda. What, that's the, his reward? He admits for his sin. And not only does he admit for his sin, but he inspired Reuven to admit. So now his bones are rolling around? So that's the whole Pasik. And he is going to push it beautifully touched. The Pasik says, Yehuda Shema Hashem kol Yehuda. So that's the meaning. So that's why it says, after the words, V'zoisli Yehuda, Shema Hashem kol Yehuda. And what happened? All of his bones returned to their joints. So a miracle happened. And, you know, the beginning of Tchiyas HaMesim. And the whole skeletal frame got reconnected the way it should be. But still, he was still unable to enter the heavenly yeshiva. So that's why Moshe Rabbeinu continued. And he said the words, meaning, allow him to be brought into his people. It worked. He entered the Masif to the Rekiah. But still, and he was unable to properly engage in the Torah study in the Masif to the Rekiah. So Moshe Rabbeinu continued that Yadav Rav Loi add power to his hands. You know, Yidin, we learn with our hands. But give him the Kayach to be able to in, interact with the other members of the Masif to the Rekiah. And that worked. But still, Yehuda was unable to, to, to get to an opinion. That was actually the halacha. So that's why Moshe Rabbeinu concluded, that you should help him against his adversaries, meaning that you should help that his opinion should be the one. So now, continues the Gemara, Yehuda why did Yehud admit for Tamar not to get burnt? It made sense that he admitted in public. But Reuven, why did Reuven admit in public? says that I consider it for someone to publicly admit to a sin. You want to admit to your sin? Good, do tshuva, speak to God. But when you, a person admits their sin in public, it can have a negative effect 
people see, ah, you also sinned. They're not going to see you're doing tshuva. So why did he need to admit it in public? Answers the Gemara. Because Yaakov Avinu didn't know who moved his bed. So Yaakov Avinu might have been suspecting his brothers. So the benefit of Reuven admitting in public was for Yaakov Avinu to know who did it. And coming all back to over here, all of this was told to her to inspire her that our forefathers sinned. But they admitted and they were not ashamed and they got rewarded. So admit, even though there's an, a shame and you're going to be rewarded, not only won't you get killed, but you'll be rewarded. Emirates Hashem to be continued.